audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Thank you guys so much. Welcome, church. Uh, Good morning. I hope you have had a great morning so far. Glad to be here. What a privilege it is for us to do this. Um, Listen, chances are you've probably heard this text before. Uh, Chances are you've probably heard this text read at a wedding before or uh, maybe seen it on a wall as decoration or on a coffee mug or something like that. But chances are you've seen this. This is one of the most common, most familiar texts in all scripture. Uh, Talking about love, depicting love. But here's what I've noticed. Although it's really familiar to us, very rarely do we ever think about this text in its context. Very rarely do we, do we look at this and kind of put it back into its context. See, as good as this verse is when it's applied to marriages, and it's great, um, but as good as this text is applied to the context of the family, wow, it becomes all the more rich and beautiful and powerful when it's put back into its context. And so here's what I'd like for us to do um, this morning first, is I'd like to just come to the Lord in prayer. And I want to invite you right where you are to kind of join me in this. And I want to ask that God would, would open our eyes, no matter what we've kind of come through these doors with this morning, what brings you to this place, um, that we would come to him and ask him to speak. There's this old hymn that says, open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. So silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me. That's our prayer. So I want to invite you to join me as we pray together. Uh, God, that is our prayer. We need you this morning. We confess and we know that we would know nothing of you unless you didn't first love us and reveal yourself to us. We confess and we know that we are unable to see and hear and unable to understand unless you first opened our eyes and our ears and our hearts. And so, Lord, that's what we ask. In this time together, would you help us to see? As that hymn says, we silently now wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me. That's our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are going to walk through this text together, but before we start into verse one, I wanted to get us a little caught up on where we've been. Uh, The letter of 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written by Paul many, many years ago to a very uh, young church, a church that was, uh, in all honesty, about the age of Stone Oak Bible Church. Uh, This was a, a young church, about three years old, when Paul wrote this letter to them, um, But what we see is that Paul deeply cared for this church. He deeply cared for these people and the health of this church. And that's why all throughout this letter, he has been talking to them about unity and about health. Um, But as I said, this church was young and it was a bit immature. And so uh, I know we would never do stupid things. But this church did. and, And Paul so often kind of addresses each one of these things. 
And he does this because he loves him. He does it for the good of the gospel, the health of the church, unity. Um, And we've dealt with so many different issues on this journey through this book. But over the last several weeks, we stepped into right in the middle of a spiritual gift conversation where Paul is talking to this church about spiritual gifts. Um, We saw it start pretty heavy in, in chapter 12. And if you were to cheat and read ahead, you'll see that in chapter 14, he continues in spiritual gifts. So right in the middle, we have this unique little chapter on love, just kind of squished in between these two two chapters. And over the last couple weeks, what we've done is we've kind of laid some foundation, and and I just want to kind of set that before us as we build on it today. Um, we looked, as we looked at, into chapter 3, this is, this is kind of important to understand that we're carrying on a spiritual gift conversation. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've, as I've said, laid some foundation. The first thing that we've seen is that throughout this text, we've realized that we are called and equipped to be participants. Um, that we are not called and gifted by God to be holy spectators. But that God has called us and gifted us for a purpose. The second thing we've seen is that our gifts, our spiritual gifts, are given to us for the glory of God. That sounds really simple. But if you contrast that, they are not given to us for our own glory, for our own um, elevated status to say, hey, look at us. No, your gifts were given to you to make much of God. That's why they were given to you. Um, When we use our our gifts... uh, to their own end, for our own glory, we've missed it. And so Paul reminds us it's about God's glory. We also saw that our gifts are given to us for the common good, for their good. In contrast, not for your good. Not to make life better for you, make your life easier to benefit, but to strengthen and and edify the church. That's why you were given your gift. More specifically, you were given these gifts. You are equipped to be a blessing, to strengthen, to edify. If you're a part of Stone Oak Bible Church, this church. That's why God brought you here. And we've seen that over the last couple weeks. Lastly, what we saw over the last couple weeks is that God's plan is, is a plan of rich diversity in the church. That we are not all called to look the same, sound the same, think the same, walk the same, talk the same, smell the same. That's not the command of Scripture, but that God has this beautiful, rich plan of diversity for his church. And what we've seen here is unity does not mean uniformity. And at the same time, diversity does not mean division. But what the scripture calls us to in Christ is we're called to this unified diversity. And we've seen this, and this is the power of Christ in us. And having said that, now let's turn our focus to chapter 13. And if you notice, the end of chapter 12 kind of sets us up well. It says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And, And then Paul says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Well, let's look at that more excellent way. This morning, let's start in uh, into chapter thirteen, and I want us to look at the first three verses first. What you're going to notice is Paul starts with um, what amounts to a, a five if-then statements. So if this, 
than that. Statements. Paul starts here with, with five of these. We have the first one in, in verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and don't have love, then I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We have two more in verse two. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge and do not have love, then I am nothing. Followed by, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains and do not have love, then I am nothing. We have our last two statements in verse three. If I give all I have and don't have love, again, then I gain nothing. And then lastly, if I deliver my body to be burned, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Again, if I did that and don't have love, then I gain nothing. So here's what Paul is doing. Paul is painting this hypothetical picture of a uh, spiritual superhero, a spiritual superstar here. He says, look, you might be the Superman of spiritual gifts. I mean, you might just be a stud rock star, right? But if you don't have love, you are nothing. You amount to nothing. It's for nothing. It gains nothing. So as we look at what he just did in these five statements, he says, look, you could, you could be an incredibly gifted speaker. As he says across all human language, speaking the tongues of men, right? And not just that, you could literally have a superhero power of speaking in the tongues of angels. I don't know what that is. That sounds awesome, but you could have that. And you know what that would do for you if you don't have love? That beautiful ability, that beautiful gift, that beautiful way to speak would be just like if I were to just have a symbol here and just be smashing it over and over. It's annoying and it's a noisy gong. That's what Paul says it is. And by the way, uh, Paul is using hyperbole here. To any English people here, shout out. But Paul is using hyperbole. Uh, hyper, hyperbole in his language here. And you'll see this throughout. So what he's going to do is he's going to take a gift and he's going to take that gift and run it to the nth degree. So he's going to kind of show the extreme. So what he's going to do is he's going to go tongues of men, nth degree tongues of angels. He's, he's painting this broad stroke and he's taking the gift and then giving you kind of the superhero version of that gift. And so this is... His point here is not for us to get caught up in the hyperbole and go, well, what does this tongues of angels mean? What does that mean? I want that. Should I want that? Does God want me to want that? That's not his point. Paul's point is not for us to get caught up in the hyperbole. Paul's point is to see the point that the hyperbole is making. He's saying you can be the superhero of all superheroes when it comes to spiritual gifts, but if you don't love, you are, as Paul kindly puts it, nothing. You are nothing. He continues to say, hey, you could be the prophet of all prophets. He expands that and he says, not only that, you can understand what? All mysteries and all knowledge. Again, he's taking it to the nth degree here. And because no one knows all the mysteries, no one knows all knowledge, but God and God alone, that's not his point because again, it's hyperbole. He's saying, you know what? You could have it all be the prophetic superhero without love, you are nothing. He, he brings it. He says, you could have the gift of faith. Not only that, all faith. Not only all faith, but literally to look at a mountain and say, move, right? You could do that. And you know what? You could do that. And if you don't love, you're nothing. It's for nothing. It means nothing. 
you could give to the poor. Not only that, you could give all to the poor. If you don't love, it means nothing. He says, you could not only give away all your possessions, you could give away your, your, yourself as a martyr. Paul says to be burned, body burned. This is a martyrdom. And you know what that would accomplish apart from love? Nothing. This is strong language. This is really strong language. It's nothing. And I hope that you're able to see what Paul is doing here. What Paul is doing is he's providing us with an anchor for spiritual gifts. He's providing us with an anchor. See, love is not a spiritual gift. It's not. Love is not a spiritual gift. But it's present in each and every one of the spiritual gifts. Uh, without love, no spiritual gift, no matter how powerful, how amazing, how incredible and supernatural you think you are, no matter what, without love, it has no value. You can teach, you can show hospitality, prophesy, you can administer, discern, help, have mercy, and you know what? If it's done without love, it is nothing, it is worthless. And now what Paul is going to lay out for us as he turns the corner is now he's going to paint a picture for us of what love is and what love is not, what love does and what love does not do. He's going to paint this picture. And again, it's really important for us to understand the context. He's not just talking about love on an island. No, he's talking about love in the context of spiritual gifts. We talked several weeks ago that any conversation about spiritual gifts in the church is by necessity a conversation about community. Because spiritual gifts, I'll say it like this, community is the fertile ground from which our spiritual gifts grow. So as we talk about spiritual gifts, we are talking about community because that is how these spiritual gifts play out. And so why is, so, is community so important? You hear that, why? Why is community so important? It's because of love. Our gifts are to flow from, to grow from the love that we have for each other. If we don't have love, they're all pointless. I'll say it like this. The gifts of the Spirit are given to us to edify and to serve the church. I repeat it. The spiritual gifts are given to us by God to edify and to serve the church. And let me just state the blatant, obvious part of this. Your spiritual gifts are doing nothing to edify the body of Christ if you're in seclusion. It's really hard to love when you're alone. And many times we sit in crowded rooms and yet we are alone. So when you hear all of this said, you're, I, it doesn't make sense. But this is meant to point us to community. This text is not just a text, I'll say it again, written to a husband and wife. Although it's great, they're definitely included in this. <laughs> it is right to read this at a wedding. I'm not, don't hear me say that. If, if you had this read at your wedding, I'm not ripping on you. It's a good one, all right? But it's more than that. It's, it's more than that. I'll say it like this. You're gifted by God. Given these spiritual gifts, blessed with these spiritual gifts in order that you can be participants in the mission of God here. 
with your brothers and your sisters that you can be a part of what God is doing in his church. But if you don't love, I'll say this again before we read about love. If you don't love, if you're, if you're not even in a community that it's possible for you to love, if, if, if love is not your guiding force, then, then all of this is for nothing. If we're in it for ourselves, if we're in it for our own glory and recognition, if we're in it for our own agenda or our own benefit, and we don't have love, then it is all for nothing. What I'm about to read is the baseline of our spiritual gifts. They flow from this. Um, I just want to, I want to read this, starting in verse four, four. Here's what we learn about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Don't hear me wrong. Patience is not indifference. Indifference refuses to acknowledge problems. It's apathy, it's laziness, that's indifference. That's not patience. Patience will bear with each other, will step in when it is frustrating. They will step in, engage, not apathetic, but engaging, and will do so with the long game in mind. That we will know that there will be times when love will require us to say things that are difficult, will need conflict at times, rebuke at times, but guess what? Love is willing to do that because love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy and it does not boast. It doesn't look at what someone else has and says, I want that. In the context of spiritual gifts, this becomes very important. It doesn't look at what other people are doing in the church and say, I wish I had that gift. And at the same time, it does not boast and think, you know what, I'm awesome. My spiritual gift is so much better than that person's. That's not, that's not love. Flowing out of that love is not arrogant and it's not rude. It's kind of self-explanatory, isn't that one? Instead, it's kind. It's patient. Love does not insist on its own way. Why? Because love's not selfish. It's not self-seeking. It calls us to seek the needs of each other over our own needs. Like, that is mind-blowing. But that's love. That's what we're called to do. Love our neighbor as ourself. Love is not irritable, easily angered, resentful. Have you ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand. Irritable. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, even in the church, you could admit this, but if you're on the edge of your seat just ready to get mad at someone, I know none of you would do that. Um, that's not love. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Instead, it rejoices with truth. Listen to this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then lastly, and Paul's gonna camp here, so so will we, love never ends. <laughs> love never ends, it's eternal. Now Paul's gonna drive us to consider this a little more deeply. Verse eight, he says, look, as for prophecies, they're gonna pass away. In other words, there will come a time when they are no longer needed. As for tongues, they too will cease. Again, there will come a time when they're no longer needed. As for knowledge, 
the gift of knowledge will pass away because, yet again, there will come a time when it is no longer needed. Now, Paul only lists these three gifts here, right? Um, Are these the only three gifts that are going away? No, that's not the point. You'll see that later. But what Paul is saying is something very important about spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts, again, are given to us by God himself to edify and to serve the church. That's why they're given. Let's put it a different way. They are given to you so that you can be better at loving people. <laughs> that's, why you, that's why you have them. But they're not eternal. Because the need for them will fade. Here is, is how Paul, here's how Paul says this. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Again, plug in spiritual gifts here. So um, plug anyone you want in that blank. We operate in our spiritual gifts in part or imperfectly. Then Paul says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. There's coming a time when we will no longer prophesy in part. No, in part, because one day the partial is going to pass away. Actually, a better way to say this is that one day the partial is going to give way to the perfect. So what is that? What is the perfect here? What is Paul talking about? I'm so glad you asked. It's a great question. It just so happens that I'd like to answer that question this morning. But before we do, Paul is going to kind of take a pit stop, and I want us to follow him. So hold that great question that you had in your mind. Uh, But let's first follow Paul's logic here. Remember, this church was young. They were immature. Um, Imagine at Stone Oak Bible Church if none of us had been following Jesus for more than two and a half years. More than three years tops. That was this church. That was this church. They were, they were young. And, and Paul compares them to a child. They were new to this thing. As a result, um, specifically in this case, there were some, some people in this church who were taking their spiritual gifts and they were going wild with them. They were using them inappropriately in their church. They were acting like children with their spiritual gifts. And so Paul, like a loving pastor who loves this church, says this, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I love this because here Paul reminds us that, that reminds this church, but also reminds us that the Christian walk is about progress. Um, It's about growth. It's about growing in our understanding of who Jesus is. It's about growing in our ability to love each other. I've heard it said, I actually really like this quote. It says, progress over perfection. You heard that? Progress over perfection. It's a great quote. Um, Although as a follower of Jesus, we, we should hear that quote and say, yes, but not really. It's for a follower of Christ, It's not really progress over perfection. It's really progress until we are perfected. Progress until we are perfected. And here's what I mean by this. We should constantly be seeking to grow in our ability to follow Jesus. We just started a new year. I don't know if you're resolution people, but everyone's thinking about last year and wanting to do better this year. But 
I would hope that as I look back on my last year, 2017, that, that I would look back and see over the course of the year that I had grown, that there, was been, there has been progress, that, that there is, this is discipleship. Theologians call this sanctification. That over the last year, that I am a more faithful follower of Jesus than the year before. In Paul's words, we are progressing continually from child to adult. Child to adult. He reminds this church that they should be growing in their affection for Jesus, growing in their ability to love each other, specifically with their gifts, that they should be growing in their ability in this. And that although, this is important, although this church was young, Paul is so clear that it's not God's plan for them to stay there. It's not God's plan for them to remain childish. So pause button here. Church, let's let God's word kind of confront us here. It's not God's plan for you to stay right where you are. You're not done growing. You are not done progressing. You are not done maturing. This is a call to progress in the Christian walk. You are not done. So church... This simple question, are you growing? Are you growing? Think back over the past several days, weeks, months, years. Are you growing? I know you're going to have bad days. But are you growing? Are you growing? In fact, it's those bad days that somehow make us grow more. Are you becoming more mature disciples of Jesus? Are you living off of the glory days of yesterday. Like maybe you had an awesome childhood where you heard everything you needed to know and you have just been coasting off of that full tank of gas. And listen, let's bring this to our church. This is discipleship. This is the mission of our church. And my hope, my prayer as your pastor is that everyone in this room would say, you know what? I am. Yes, I am growing. I want us to bring this into the context of this verse, talking about spiritual gifts. Are you growing in your understanding and application of your spiritual gifts in the church? As you think back, have you seen progress in the the depth of the way you serve and you love others through your spiritual gifts? Have you seen progress? This is Christian progress that's on display here. See, children in the faith have this strange strange tendency to elevate ourselves through our gifts. Um, To use the gifts for our own glory, but oh, that we would be mature in Christ, that we would progress, that we would grow. And we are reminded here by Paul that, that God's plan for us is to grow. But Paul's not done here. He reminds us this isn't the end. Listen to this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, there are a few fundamentally huge statements in this, in this verse that we need to see. First, uh, we said already, progress until we are perfected, right? Well, church, there will come a day 
there will come a day when Christian progress will give way to Christian perfection. FYI, you're not there yet. It's coming though. When the imperfect will fade and the perfect is gonna take its place. We've already asked the question that came out of verse 10, what did Paul mean when he said the perfect is coming, the partial will pass away? Well, this verse kind of opens our eyes. Just hear me. One day we will see perfection face to face. Perfection is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And one day we will see him face to face. Right now we know in part, but then we will know him fully. Our progress, all of the ways that we are maturing here in this life, our growth, our sanctification, the ways that we're growing in our ability to love each other, all of it is going to give way when we see Jesus face to face. Progress gives way to perfection. Progress in in Christ until we are perfected in Christ. What a hope we have that one day we will see him face to face. And sanctification will give way to glorification. One day we stand on that. We know that our hope is in Jesus. The second thing, though, that we see here is that this is so subtle and amazing. Look Look at the second part of this verse. Now I know in part... That's present tense. I know right now in part. Then I shall know fully. That's future, referring to that one day when we see Jesus face to face, right? And then lastly, even as I have been fully known. Let's camp there. That is past tense. So here's what I'm getting at here. Right now, Although you and I, we only know in part, we stand in confidence that our Savior knows us fully, sees us fully. And let me just be very clear, and I need you to understand, he also loves us fully and perfectly. Although we know in part, he knows in full. And we are known by him full. On that day when we see Jesus face to face, here's what's going to happen. We are going to come face to face to know our Savior who already knows us fully. That is incredible news. This is why, church, it makes no sense for us to hide. It makes no sense. It's like playing hide and seek with a two-year-old. They're not good at it. You're not good at it. You're not good at it. It's impossible. And that's what makes the message of the gospel all that much more beautiful and incredible. Because if you think about it, God knows you with all of your warts and all. He knows you and still offers you salvation. In other words, God is not surprised by what he purchased on the cross. He knew what he was buying, and he doesn't even have buyer's remorse. That's really good news. I know me. I'm not speaking for you. I know me. That's really good news. I want you to think about this. Paul says, so now faith, hope, love, abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
Faith, hope, and love. So I think about Hebrews 11. You don't have to turn there unless you're super competitive and think you can get there really quick. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So faith and hope here are future-oriented, right? We, they're things hoped for. They're con- confidence and conviction about things that aren't yet seen. That is faith, and that is hope. And so why, then, is the greatest of these love? Because when we see Jesus face to faith, or face to face, faith and hope are no more. Some of you hear that and say, what? How could you say that? Think about it. When we see Jesus on that day, face to face, you are staring at the very object of your faith. You are face to face with the object of your faith. I'll say it like this. On that day, when we see Jesus face to face, there is nothing left to hope for. Nothing left to hope for. That's a good glimpse of heaven. You can't literally think of anything else you would hope for. You see perfect fulfillment of all hope in front of you. Faith and hope will vanish. You know what's left? Love. Love. This is why Paul says love never ends. Instead, church, love is eternal. In understanding that, Um, I think we would miss how incredibly beautiful this is if we left it here. There's a couple things I I want us to see and I believe we need to take from this. Um, The first is this. This sounds so simple. It is not. It is amazing. We are loved by God. (laughs) We are loved by God. We just read an entire passage about love. We just read what love is, what it does, what it doesn't do, and what it is not. We just read about this. And, and as we all read this, does anyone else walk away from this? Does, I'll put it like this. Does anyone in this room walk away from this text going, yeah, nailed that. That's me. Like, bam. They just read my diary. This is how I am. This is who I am. No. <laughs> No, we don't. We are reminded when we read something like this how often we fail. Like I, I, I read about love is patient, love is kind. <sighs> so often I am not. I, I, you read love doesn't envy, boast, arrogant, rude, insist on its own way. I've never done that before. It's not irritable or resentful. So often I fail. We read it doesn't rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God, so often we fail at this. And then I remember, 1 John 4, 8 tells us so clearly, God is love. And, And then I start to remember that Psalm 136 says that his steadfast love will never stop and that the love of God will never fail. I start to think, in other words, take this in and take heart, church. Very literally, as we just read this incredible text about love and we all just long to be more like this, what we are reading in in, very real, what we are reading is in reality a picture, a beautiful picture of God's perfect love for you. We are reading about how God loves us. 
Church, you are loved by God. And, and as amazing as this love here that's described in this text, and as amazing how, how often we fail to live up to it, we're reminded that our God is love, his love never fails, and he loves you with that love. And that is awesome. God loves you. If we ever read a text about love and don't first stop and say, wow, God love me, we've missed it. The second thing we see here, though, is that we're called to love by God. We're called to love by God. There is no more important thing in all of your life to give yourself to than loving others. There is nothing better. There is nothing bigger I know you've heard this before, but I think we need to hear it again. This kind of love starts here. Shame on us as the church who know the beautiful love of God if we are not leading the charge and showing love first to each other. We can't get that right sometimes, but then to the world. It starts here. It has to start here. Love starts with God, and then naturally it's going to flow from God's people. And this, as the Bible says so often, is God's plan. That is incredible. It starts here. We love God. We love others. And listen, you might look around this room and think, wow, they aren't that lovable. I would never think that, but you might be thinking that. (laughs) Neither are you, but I'm joking. But hear me, the command to love is not easy. This text reminds us as we read it, we understand that love is so much more than a feeling. Love is so much more than this feeling that overtakes us. It's so much more than an emotional response. I'm grateful for the emotional response that love causes in us. Don't get me wrong, I love that. Love is so much more than that. Love is a decision that we make. That's how it's, that's how it's patient. That's how it's kind. That's how it's enduring. We choose to love each other. Christ loved you when you were unlovable. And the Christian faith is now turning that out and saying, now go do the same. As you look around this room, we are a room full of unlovables. Praise God that we're called to love each other. Because that in in and of itself will show the world how good our God is. We choose to love each other. So we're loved by God. We're called to love by God. And then last, your spiritual gifts are the tools given to you to help you love more effectively. If you want to boil down what a spiritual gift is, they are the gifts given to you so that to help you love more effectively. Meaning they're not the end of in and of themselves. They are the means to the end. They're the means to the end. And listen, every spiritual gift discussion has to start here. I want to say this really really just simply. The purpose of your gift is love, period. The purpose of your gift, the way God's gifted you, is love, period. If If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, don't have love, noisy gong, annoying, clanging symbol. Why? Because the purpose of your gift 
is love. And without love, it's just noise. If I have all the prophetic powers, all mysteries, all knowledge, if I have all the faith, if I'm like moving mountains as I walk down the street, but I don't have love, I am nothing. I am nothing. Why? Because the purpose of all of those gifts is love. That's why if you don't have love, no matter how powerful you may be, it is nothing. If I give all I have, if I deliver myself up to be a martyr and I don't have love, I gain nothing. Why? Because again, the purpose of your gift is love that you would be able to better love one another, better showcase that love to each other. We can gain every gift there is to get. You have it all. I mean, have it all. And, and you know what? We are nothing apart from love, the love of God and the love for each other. We are nothing. As we, but as we walk in love for each other in gospel community, your gifts are given to you. You are designed to love each other in an incredibly powerful and gifted way. And it's a beautiful tool for the gospel, in other words. That's the design. So I need to ask you, do you know how God has gifted you? Do you know how God has gifted you? If not, let's start here. I encourage you to get in a community. Jump into a community group. Um, community is great at helping you figure out how God has wired you. Sometimes I think it would be more effective to, instead of just going alone and praying, what is my gift, what is my gift, Lord, show me my gift. For you to just go into a community that know you and say, guys, what is my gift? They're gonna tell you clearly and quickly. And that's beautiful. That's the way we're designed to function. I encourage you to start there. I also encourage you, we have a seminar starting next week specifically about spiritual gifts. And I, I'm telling you, the whole point of this is so that we discover how God has uniquely gifted us to love each other. That's the whole point of this. And so I encourage you to step here. Step in. And if you're here and you know your gifts, I want to ask you, how are you loving others with your gift? How are you using your gifts in love? Here's the, here's the reality, and here's why these questions are really important. Um, our spiritual gifts are the tools given to us by God to help us love more effectively for the glory of God. And these questions are so important. As we pursue Christ more passionately and as we pursue love more effectively. And church, let us use our gifts to that end until we see him face to face. I want us to close in prayer. And as we do, I want us to kind of close with the words of another hymn. This one is actually one that we're about to sing. As the team comes up here, listen to this. Listen to these words. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives 
and pleads for me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you love us. That you love us perfectly and completely and with an everlasting love that never fails. We thank you that your love was so demonstrated for us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for first loving us, for loving us first. Now, Lord, would you help us to better love you? That we would love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, strength. Lord, would you help us? And and God, would you help us to better love each other? And would you show us how we can now use our gifts to that end? Thank you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.